Hello film fans, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Our very own producer Sullivan Harris is joining me on this very special episode, talking about two hitmen hiding out in Bruges, Belgium after a job gone wrong. We're talking about my all-time favorite movie, In Bruges. All right, Sullivan Harris is here. This is a long-awaited episode. We're doing it in Bruges, per my request. I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a really long time. I don't really know where to start with this movie. It's so special to me for just an abundance of reasons, and the more I watch it, the more close I get to it. When was the first time you saw this? I think I the first time I saw it was when you recommended it to me. Oh, really? Because I well, because I I'd, I'd seen Seven Psychopaths, and I loved Seven Psychopaths. And I didn't even know that Martin McDonough had another movie. Mm-hmm. And then you came at me with, In Bruges, In Bruges, In Bruges. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I watched it and I was like, wow. All right. But it is a weird movie to like start talking about because it's almost like really simple mm-hmm. when you get down to it. Like the plot line is super simple. It's just these two guys hanging out in Bruges for a bit. And then there's a climax at the end. I first heard it. My stepdad told me about it because I had a... I had a history teacher in high school who recommended it to my brother and um, recommended it to my stepdad. And it just became one of our family movies because of that reason. Uh, and it's a yeah, weird family movie. I know. I know. Like, I mean, it's not like one that we watch like as a family, but it's one we all kind of agree mm-hmm. on, like as a family of just like absolutely loving. And so like when all the walls are sitting down after a nice meal, pop on in Bruges. <laughs> in Bruges. <laughs> but it was one that like I heard about it I think I was like it was right after it came out I think I was like maybe 11 or something and it was one I I couldn't see it but my stepdad always talked about it always watched it and I was like I can't wait to be able to watch that you know as a kid and I think I first watched it I was uh I think I was 15 I was a sophomore in high school and it came on Netflix for the first time and there was something about it that like when you hear so much about a movie, you can only think about what the movie's actually about to mm-hmm. a certain extent before it's like, okay, now I still just don't know anything. But then I watched it and everything about it, like I understood why people loved it and why everyone in my family had just continually talked about it. And it's just such a great movie to rewatch because of how like it's so much fun and there's new things to discover each time. Like, and it's good, like, as I was growing up, I kept coming back to it. Like I watched it like once a year in high school and I still like still do. And when I start, I started watching it when I was 15, I realized how funny it was and how good the performances were. And then the more as time went on, the more times I watched it, I was like, wow, there's actually like a really interesting, like allegorical, like nature to this movie that I really, really like. I don't think I would have liked it if I watched it at 15. No, no, probably not. (laughs) What year did this come out? 2008. The miss the mark of the 2009 glory year. Yeah. Which is a little bit. Well, 2008, it's good to bring that up. It's such a weird year for movies because like that year at the Oscars was like Slumdog Millionaire, The Reader. Weird Frost year for and, us. Yeah. We were like 12. Well, we were 10. We were like 10? Yeah. 2008. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It adds up. That adds up. We'll check good math. math. Yeah. <laughs> it was also the year of The Dark Knight. And, you know, that was 
that took uh, that was like the first year a comic book movie had like gotten a lot of accolades for mm. Oscars and stuff. But like all of those movies that were nominated, like so I think it, I think it was The Reader, Frost Nixon, Slumdog Millionaire, Babel, and Milk were the five that were nominated for Best Picture. And I think I know which one you're a bit impartial to. The only one that I've seen that I really enjoy was The Reader. Oh, I was gonna say Milk. Oh, I've never seen Milk. You love Milk. <laughs> <laughs> I do love milk. Um, Cold glass of Crowley in the morning. Mm-mm. Nothing beats it. No, yep. Chilled overnight in a nice wine glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this movie gets nominated for Best Original Screenplay, and that's really Wait, it. Wait, did it really? Yeah. I don't know anything about like how well how well did this movie do at the box office i don't even like it was it kind of just went under the radar for the most part it was you know it was a small movie a small budget and it's been dubbed and or deemed an underrated movie for so long and i want to that was one of my questions that i wanted to bring up just right off the bat is do you feel like this movie is still considered underrated because i feel like it's gone through syndication of streaming services for the past like 5 years or so it's a big like a it's a big movie for like film school students. I feel, I feel like I hear about it more and more each year. Do you think like, has it crossed over from being the fact that everyone calls it underrated actually makes it less underrated or is it still like more people need to see it? I mean, from my experience, not many people I know, know about this movie. Like Mm -hmm. anyone, like any family that I see that I catch up with who are like, Oh, have you seen any new movies recently? Like when I brought up this movie, None of them knew what mm-hmm. it was. Um, I've never really heard it in any discourse in college either. So I don't I don't think it I think it probably is still pretty underrated. A lot of movies that like everyone's like, oh, it's underrated or things like, you know, The Shining when it's like not like everybody has seen it, but mm-hmm. like all film students have seen it like, oh, it's underrated. But it's like everyone's seen it. Yeah. But I don't think I, I just haven't met a lot of people that have seen this movie, which is a darn toot and shame. Yeah. Did it win Best Screenplay? Mm-mm. What won Best Screenplay? Original, I think, was Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, that checks out. But I this one, it makes sense. I could be wrong. Was that the only nomination? It was the only nomination it got at the Oscars. It got three Golden Globe nominations, one for Best Picture Musical or Comedy. Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell got nominated. Colin Farrell actually won. Oh, Golden thank Globe God. Because his um, performance is amazing. It's the, we'll, we'll definitely we'll get, uh, into, it get into it. Let me check the... I need to check the uh, Academy Awards here really quick. Well, it makes sense that it got nominated for screenplay. Because mm-hmm. when I was watching this this time, something I just like kept writing down in my notes was just, this is really a movie of banter. Yeah. Like, what makes this movie is like, it's like 90% dialogue driven mm-hmm. and then like 10% like visual gags. Mm-hmm. But that 90% dialogue is so tight and oh, yeah. like so good and so well acted, like so fit to the performers too. Yeah. It's like phenomenal. Like I I, I don't understand why it didn't win, honestly. Slumdog Millionaire is great. So the, I love Slumdog. Give me a little Slumdog any day. <laughs> <laughs> and a millionaire. Um, so Slumdog actually won for best adapted screenplay. Best Original Screenplay, um, Dustin Lance Black won for Milk, and In Bruges mm. was only nominated, along with Wally. Um, okay, <laughs> also, sure. Just a little side note there. But yeah, I mean, I feel like also Martin McDonough has become more of a, I don't want to say a mainstream name, but more of a recognized name with his last movie, Three Billboards, outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which was a huge hit for 2017, got nominated for a lot of awards. And what do you think makes him stand out as a writer because I mean he has this you know whole background in theater and does um, just is having his new play on Broadway you know this year 
like what what makes him stand out among other writers like like Tarantino or Sorkin or anything like that? What do you think makes him singular? Well, what I wrote down in my notes was that I think he's he's very good at making dialogue that's real. Mm-hmm. Like he's good at inserting flaws into conversation, inserting like little mishaps of yeah. of like vocabulary that like normal people would do every day. And he's able to do that without losing a theatrical quality as well. Mm-hmm. The comedy and the cadence of his words are all very theatrical, but somehow he's found a way to translate that into film Mm -hmm. making something realistic while still having it be theatrical enough to feel like big broad and important is like really impressive yeah and like that's what i love him for specifically is it's all about the dialogue in his movies and the characterization too he's like incredible with characterization yeah and this is like one of his best examples of that i was thinking like as i was watching it this time the dialogue always jumps out to me but this time it felt it felt different there was something about like it's all planned. Like you can tell like yes. every, like yeah, yeah, yeah. the way that it's metered, the way that mm-hmm. the inflections, it's all planned. It's all rehearsed. It's and one of the tightest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's a movie that you can tell, like he's just super proud of how tight it is. Every line of dialogue, like everything that's brought up, every location they go to, everything they see all comes back around in some shape or form later on. Yeah. And like, I, I was trying to think like, does this feel natural? And it doesn't feel like a real conversation that people would have, but it feels natural because of the character, like you right. said, the characterization. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like they would have this conversation, mm-hmm. but because it's so well rehearsed, it's like, it actually just grabs your attention mm-hmm. and like kind of forces you to, to listen. And the fact that, as I was watching it, a lot of the times, by the way, listeners, I'm sorry if you hear this kind of rustling. I'm sitting in a beanbag chair um, right now. <laughs> Just a low key episode of film. Yeah. <laughs> Dimly lit bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could tell that this seems like someone is the first movie of someone who's big into theater. Like, I mean, obviously he had many plays before this, but everything that happens in this movie seems like you could see it translated to stage really well like the setting the story like how simple it is but there's actually a a much deeper bigger meaning to it a lot of it is just people going through certain locations kind of just taking in the scenery because i mean obviously bruges is a location is Mm -hmm. a a character in this movie and the dialogue of how you know extensive it is it feels like again it's almost theater on screen, and we talked about that in the best of the decade pod with yeah. Birdman, um, and this is just a shining example of that. Well, I feel. I think it's a, like you said, like these characters. Maybe the dialogue isn't realistic, but it's because the characters are theater characters. Yeah, but they are like if you're like if I met Colin Farrell's character in this walking down the street, this is a conversation I would have with him. <laughs> that would probably never happen because people like this don't exist. But he creates this character that feels real, even though he is this like big exaggerated theater like character but you you feel that he's real so yeah. it's like the conversations feel real too and it's great that i mean we'll get into this a little bit later but like how he does introduce all of the characters flaws and forces you to kind mm-hmm. of i don't want to say empathize but like connect with these mm-hmm. guys that are pretty awful people yeah but like they're also like i mean there's that great line that ray has later where he's like when he's like talking about purgatory he's like you know you the place you go and you you're not real shit, but you weren't all that good neither. Like, it's just like, it's literally, that's just what they are. Like Ray and, um, 
and Ken just so, like uh, fantastic characters. Like this really, when you think about it, is kind of like a buddy movie. Yeah. But like it, done in such a different way because they're such like polar opposites, but they mm-hmm. have to stay together because that's, that's all they've got. It's mm-hmm. just themselves. Um, I want to pose this one quick question before we get into talking about like the story and what's in this movie. How would you classify this movie in terms of genre? Cause this is also one of my favorite things about it is how, oh how many different genres there are. In yeah. This movie. Cause it has elements of action. It has what I want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. A little bit is it has a lot of like nor sort of aspects to it. It's mm-hmm. got great comedy. It's got a lot of it's drama, like yeah. a lot of dark themes. I, I think probably overall I would define it as a dark comedy though. I say dark comedy. Which as is well. what most of his stuff kind of is. Like yeah. dark comedy bordering on drama. Yeah. Like I've said this is my favorite comedy for quite a while, but it's such a different comedy. Like well it's, yeah because I think when people hear comedy these days they think of like Will Ferrell movies yeah. and like you know like, like the, Apatow, the typical Apatow yeah. comedy movies but when you look back at like like greek tragedies greek comedies like comedies don't just mean haha they make you laugh every minute mm-hmm. they're like dark drama full stories too you know they're rooted in something yeah like, human but it just pain, also yeah. has like elements that are funny overall yeah and the comedy in this movie is pretty fucking great pretty but. spot on yeah There's so many i got so many lines written down that are just hilarious like you can't sell horse tranquilizers to a midget like <laughs> Oh my god. Alright, with that, why why don't we just get into it? Let's get into it. Can we talk about the opening first? That's what I was going to say. Because I love the opening. The opening's fantastic. Like, I I also want to bring up, I have the screenplay um, at home and I've read it through so many times and how you can tell, like I said, how planned everything was. And the opening for this is so great that it's just talking. It's literally, it describes the gothic fixtures that you see in the opening. And then obviously Colin Farrell's voiceover that we just get. This kind of adds to the noir mystery. No, yeah, absolutely. It. Cause it's, it's very classic Hollywood. Yeah. Like just these big sweeping still like, all, like sometimes sweeping, sometimes still shots of like the gothic architecture. It's so dark that it's almost black and white. Mm-hmm. You got Colin Farrell doing, narration over it like super contrasty lighting like it's just like I it feels like you're watching a noir crime thriller I also love that it like perfectly in the first like three minutes contrasts it, it like um shows the con- conflicting themes or like tones really well but like mesh like it, how they meld together so like you open with this these sweeping shots of Bruges and like they're like dark but it's mm-hmm. gold and it's like oh what is this place and you have this Colin Farrell's talking about like this obviously it's the whole point of the movie is the job gone wrong and their boss is like, you know, get out of London, you gotta go to Bruges. And I love that it. it's like, I didn't even know where Bruges fucking was. Yeah. And then it's black and he just goes, it's in Belgium. And then <laughs> the title, but then that kind of sets it up as like, oh, it's mysterious, you know, yeah. it's kind of weird. And then you hear the the off-camera dialogue of, Bruges is a shithole, you know, yeah. Bruges is not a shithole. Bruges is a shithole. Like, Such we, good chemistry mm-hmm. between those two. Something I also love about the intro is how well it sets up the geography of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it shows you the places that you're going to need to know for the rest of the movie. And I think a big problem, I talk about this nonstop is movies these days just want to get to the, it wants to get to the climax. Yeah. They want to get to like the big epic moments. 
and they don't spend the time laying the groundwork to build up to that. So when you get to that moment, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, look at Justice League compared to Endgame, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't put in the time to set up all these characters. So when we got to the big climax, it was just a big fart. Big, fat, stinky fart. (laughs) This movie, though, like, we see that tower Uh that plays such a big role in the climax from the beginning it's like one of the first shots like we see this tower this beautiful tower we're instantly attracted to it Mm -hmm. and like just our minds are just like okay this tower and then it's like in the background of so many shots like he purposefully will frame the shots the tower is like always visible in almost every scene it's like we know that tower means something and i think that's something that carries over from theater he's so good at being able to let the audience know what the important bits are Mm -hmm. like he's so good at that because when you're on stage it's like if you have like a prop or something, it's like you really have to call attention to that prop. You yeah. really have to like the tower keep... is like the smoking gun. Yeah, exactly. Almost. Yeah. So he knows how like how to make the viewer realize something is important, even if it's just subconscious by just like showing it in the background of the shot. There's a lot of really great foreshadowing in this movie too that I really really love, and that's uh, again, and we'll talk about the meaning and all this later. But like so many great moments that like you think are just small moments but they actually come up like showing the tower in the beginning when Ken is at the top of the tower later and he's like pointing down with the gun and he's in the spot where he like obviously jumps later Mm -hmm. with uh, what's the dwarf character's name is it Jimmy? I think yeah, Jimmy. When Jimmy's dressed up in the in the, the school, school garb outfit. later and mm-hmm. he's like uh, turns out it's supposed to be a, a little boy and Ray's like I I wouldn't have hesitated later. Like, there's so many great moments of setup. Yeah. Even like just throughout. Like, well, that's past something I, wrote, I have it written like four times in your setup payoff. Cause yeah. like, after watching so many Hollywood movies where there's no setup and payoff, just payoff, like, this was so satisfying to watch. Like, even just within a scene, mm-hmm. like the scene at the, at, when they're at dinner, like him and Chloe, right? That's yeah. her name. Mm-hmm. He'll just like within a scene set up, it'll have an insert shot of the guy like waving away the smoke, like getting annoyed with it. Yeah. And it will be like another three minutes till that comes up again. Yeah. But we have that set up. And so when he has that little tussle, it's a good payoff. Mm-hmm. But that whole scene in itself that just feels like a little comedy scene is also a set up payoff for like later on the train when they come back and that's how he goes back to Bruges. Or even like the scene before when he's talking to Ken and he's like you know the lollipop man came at me with like a bottle or something that is like my that. Fa- no that's my favorite part <laughs> yeah like my favorite part dialogue wise that scene takes the fucking cake <laughs> it's so great because they're just sitting there and they're just taught like you know he's saying grappling with the fact that he's had killed people and uh-huh. then you know he's like you know he was a lollipop man and he's like what's a lollipop man doing <laughs> yeah. no fucking karate like, it's so great <laughs> And uh, but, Brandon Gleason is just so annoyed. <laughs> like, he's like, it's like, well, it doesn't know karate. Like, we how sh- old was he? Fifty years old. Well, what is a fifty-year-old man, <laughs> lollipop man, doing knowing karate? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's coming at you with a bottle. He comes at you with bare hands. That's oh different. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, when he's like, a bottle. <laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> That's hilarious. We should also t- like. We should also talk about that. Like, I mean, just the first act is so fucking funny, but it is hinders on the brilliant chemistry between Brendan mm-hmm. Gleeson and Colin Farrell who are two Which of the is two people I would have never put together Mm-mm. ever in a million no. years but and I love them both so these much. are like two of my favorite performances ever they're so especially Colin Farrell who is just you could tell how damaged he is you can tell how pretty much how angry he is like all the time and but also how some 
he's so lovable too. It's so weird. Like you feel like that's the great thing about this movie too, is like, even like as an audience member, you're, you'll be like on the train for like, you know, 15 minutes. You're like, all right, yeah, this guy, Mm -hmm. like, I like this guy, especially when he's at the film set, like talking to (laughs) Chloe for the first time. You're like, this guy's weird, but I like him. And then after a while you're like, Oh wait, no, this guy's actually really horrible. But Mm -hmm. like, he's also so damaged. Cause like, it's interesting because it's almost, he has like such a man child, thing going on where like he doesn't my, have a my filter shot, like well my favorite part is when he is like trying to convince ken to go out for the night and he's like sitting on the balcony like on the on the windowsill and he's like maybe we could go check out all the cool architecture yeah. and that would be fun <laughs> and then it like cuts to a wide shot of him and he's like holding his feet like in mm-hmm. a super childish way yeah but i think that like Total props to his performance because I th- I think what he's trying to play here is that that is almost just a cover. Like this super like intense childish version of, version of himself is just him like really trying to put like a happy face on in the midst of all of this. Absolutely. But you all you're always seeing little hints of that faltering. Yeah. And it's just it's played so well. I do love the scene when he's when they're first on the boat and Ken's like taking everything in and he's just like got yeah, his like, shoulders all the way up and just like this isn't fun. <laughs> and the part where they're in the church where uh, he's like, I thought we agreed that we were gonna do what I wanted to do today and you wouldn't like throw a tantrum like a little baby in Colin Farrell's like, I didn't agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> like a little boy throwing a moody, yeah. dropping all his sweets. <laughs> That's another great thing I love that this. The, it takes place in Europe. It's in Belgium, and these characters are both Irish, and just the dialect in it, in and of itself, is just so like mm-hmm. wonderful to hear. Like just as you know, as an American who doesn't hear like stuff like that all the yeah. time, like just Very the way specific, yeah, like the you know they say Moody, they say um, Mad Eye Moody, yeah, some yeah. Would say. <laughs> a lot of a lot of Harry Potter people in this movie too. I meant to put this in my notes, but I didn't because I thought it was too weird. But I'm just gonna say it anyway. Yeah. Ray Fiennes handsomest he's ever been absolutely I, think, in this I, movie. I agree like I my agree. eyes are just glued to him every time he's in a scene it's also my favorite performance of his like it's legitimately it's wonderful just because of how i mean he's i've said it before many times on the show he's my favorite actor like just ever and because every performance he he's in like every performance he gives he just relishes it mm-hmm. like, he is having an absolute blast whether it's Voldemort mm-hmm. whether it's Grand Budapest Hotel whether it's here when he's literally on screen for like 15 minutes he and like, even just the vocal performance when he's just on the phone for, yeah like, that long, which is an incredible is that just one take when he's on the phone with uh, yeah Ken yeah when he's telling him like he was a good kid yeah that's like that's wonderful. a whole one take yeah. yeah I didn't notice that until this last time I watched it I was like they haven't cut in like three minutes it's so good that's a funny scene though when he's like well just because he left doesn't mean he's not there you yeah. know and he's like <sighs> and Ken's like what have I done you know <laughs> but that's like a very impressive thing like that it's such a strange character to play first of all because mm-hmm. he's as Ken says, a cunt. Yeah. And <laughs> a cunt now. You've always been a cunt. He's a bad guy. Like Awful. he's he coordinates these killers to do hits on like as Ken hints at, like sometimes good people. Mm-hmm. But he also has this like very strict moral code and he genuinely cares about his employees. Like he cares about Ken. Mm-hmm. Like in the end, when Ken admits that like he really cares about him, like he can't kill him. It's like mm-hmm. He, he really cares. He really cares about uh, Colin Farrell's character because he wants to give him this nice day. And it's 
very important to him for yeah. some reason that he has this very nice last day. Yeah. He just keeps pushing like, did he like it? Did he like it? And that mm-hmm. performance is like so engaging because you're like, who is this guy? Yeah, with you this strict hears... moral code, but he's such a bad person. And yeah, like, well, when he like leaves the message and he's like, I'm yeah. leaving a note with a fucking receptionist, yeah. and he says fuck over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, he swears a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> Um, before we get into any more, let's. I just want to give. Can you give like a really quick, brief synopsis or like um, tagline for what this movie is about? Two hitmen take refuge in Bruges after a job gone wrong, mm-hmm. and that's what it's described as. Yeah. And everything, and yeah. it's like you get so, these ideas in your head of what that movie could be when you hear that that log line. Yeah. And, like, none of them are what the movie actually is. It's well, so low-key, so dialogue-driven. The trailer makes it seem like something completely different, too. I've never seen the trailer. It's not a good trailer. Like, it's very much, like... It makes it seem like it's, like, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels mixed with, like, a Shane Black movie or something like that. And that's really, like, not what it is, like, at all. Like, they have, like... You know how, like, when they... A lot of movies like of this nature will like when they do like a title card or something like Colin Farrell, Brendan yeah. Gleeson, like whenever that comes mm-hmm. up, a gunshot goes off. Like it's like <laughs> Did that. Did the trailer and, have that? Yeah, for everything. Oh, and then weird. like there's a rock song going on in the back. And I'm like, this doesn't like capture the movie at all. Like I feel like some people yeah, would. There's go to a this. rock song when 95 percent of the soundtrack is just soft piano. <laughs> yeah, amazing score. Mm-hmm. By the way, I love 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 the score, and I love how like fast paced everything is right when they get into the room and you realize okay they may be here for two weeks and Ken like just only slightly hints at what Ray did and he mm-hmm. just goes into the bathroom and starts breaking down yeah like, oh that is awesome mm-hmm. that is such a good performance moment yeah and like Colin Farrell like cries quite a bit in this movie but it's like really really compelling mm-hmm. and like really good like we find out that he you know was um he had this job to kill. The actor is um, is it someone I should know? Uh, Kieran Hines. He's a uh, he That's played Kieran Hines. Kieran Hines. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, he's the priest. Oh my god, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, and so he is a priest. And um, by the way, confessional booth probably worst place to kill someone. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot of great. But that is an incredible fucking back and forth between them. Yeah. I love that so much. And that's so reminiscent of like a six shooter. Did you Mm -hmm. ever see six shooter? No, I haven't. Like that, that gave me, he won the Oscar for that. God damn right. He got the Oscar for that. I love six shooter, but like the whole, like, (laughs) who'd you kill? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You father. (laughs) What are you deaf? Yeah. And then, you know, doesn't kill him immediately. And then I like that when he shoots him in the back, you know the shot that goes through him, and mm-hmm. and when he dies, he falls down. He realizes that um, Ray shot this little boy, who's um, you know kind of praying for being bad or like asking for forgiveness or whatever. And there's that, yeah, that is like the biggest gut punch I think mm-hmm. I have ever felt in a movie. The first time I watched that, yeah, because like it cuts to that flashback after seeing the kids like holding hands with their parents in the streets of Bruges, mm-hmm. and you're just like. No, like, no, 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 yeah. no. Like, that can't be it. That can't uh-uh. be it. And he, like, kills the priest, and you're like, oh, okay, we're safe. But then he's still staring, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. But the the little card that the, ki- that the kid is holding with the, for being too moody, bad yeah. at maths, like, being oh, sad, that's what yeah. gets me. Yeah. Because, like, I think that, like, that really tears deep into the themes of the movie of, like, like, there's a lot of, like, good and bad black and white 
going on in this movie mm-hmm. and like this kid who went to this church to pray because he thought he was bad and that that's the last thing he ever did. Yeah. Like, ooh, yeah, it's deep. really, it's great also to know, like n- to not know what went wrong going into it. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, I mean, well, cause this movie hinges on the fact that you can sympathize with Colin Farrell. Uh-huh. And if it were to told you what he did up front, mm-hmm. you would not, I don't think be able to sympathize with him mm-hmm. but you have to like get to know him first and like see him through ken's eyes <clears throat> so you can like understand where he's coming from like it's a this is i feel like this is going to be a whole thing getting into like the black and white kind of like good and bad yeah i mean that's kind of the that's one of the major themes of the movie too i mean there's just a lot of gray area with mm-hmm. the movie it's not entirely clear like the movie in and of itself like not even just like in its characters or like you know just overall it's like you you think it's this movie about you know them trying to just hide from their boss and await instructions and he happened there's a love story in there Mm -hmm. but really it's actually about you know what personal tragedy and what What it it means means to be bad like how to be worthy of redemption yeah like repenting your sins like i love the scene where ken is like talking about like helping a woman at the grocery store Mm -hmm. like i'll hold the door open for her but like i'm not going to do anything beyond that and i feel like because then she'd like get offended and like all this stuff and then he's like but i also have to like level that with the fact that I've killed people. Yeah. So it's like, what makes you a good person? Like, right. Well, that whole section of the movie, like when they're in, they, when they go to the museum and they're looking around and then, and then they have that conversation afterwards, it really kind of hit like, you know, hammers it, hammers it in a little bit to make you think like, okay, this is a more so about the morals of what mm-hmm. they're doing. And they're kind of grappling with that. And there's a whole, I mean, I can't really talk about certain analysis of it without, um, acknowledging and kind of giving a huge shout out to nerd writer for his, um, video on in which is really, really fantastic. I've if you've seen it, uh, it's, it's called, um, I'll write I, think, that down. I think it's called like intrigue through or morality and dialogue. And it's all about this movie. And he had like, so many um you know points home like how when they're in the um and this and you could consider this a theory but i feel like a lot of what happens in the movie kind of just makes it more of an analysis because i mean there is a difference between the two because like there isn't a right or wrong answer it's right. just like looking at all of this this gradient of bad people mm-hmm. And, like, the different levels of bad they are and the different levels of good they are. Mm. Yeah, but, like, also, like, when... So, when they're in the church... Or when they're in the museum and they're looking at that one painting of Judgment Day and then they talk about purgatory, like I mentioned before. Like, I feel like that's a big thing. Like, there's an idea that, like... Bruges in this movie is purgatory. Is purgatory. And, like, they're kind of waiting and Harry's kind of the, you know, the... Mm -hmm. Uh, the decision maker and they're waiting to like act on or repent for their sins. And that's kind of the whole arc, but it's again, it's about morals. And I like someone can say like, okay, that's just a dumb theory. I think that holds out really well. Yeah. Cause then Colin Farrell can't leave. Yeah. Like he gets stopped and he gets pulled back. Yeah. I, yeah, that I did not pick up on the first time I watched it, but I Mm -hmm. watched it with Heather, AKA my girlfriend. And, um, (laughs) 
like immediately after the movie, she was like, it's purgatory. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. Cause like with the people at the end with like the masks and stuff that look like the painting. Mm-hmm. That's really good that like, again, they set that up to where it's like, it's not mm-hmm. fully out of left field. It makes sense. So it's like, okay, they set up that there's this film shoot happening. It's a dream sequence. There's a lot of crazy shit going yeah. on. It just happens to be. Um, He's a- like whispering it into your ear the whole time, but yeah. not like telling you. He's setting it up again. Amazing setup yeah. throughout this whole movie. I, I would kind of want to save this for, for a little bit later, but the, again, payoff is just so sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best things about this movie is that you can really, you have to really think about it and more rewatches mm-hmm. reveals more. I would, I've again, going back to the relationship between Colin Farrell and Brendan Cleason, they just work so well in that they're constantly kind of moving each other forward throughout the story. Like I really love the scene in the bar when they first go to the bar, <laughs> Colin Farrell's like, ah, oh, yes, one gay beer for my gay friend yeah. and one normal beer for me. Cause I'm normal. But then Brandon Gleason's like, maybe we're here on a job. And he's like, on a yeah. job here in Bruges. Yeah. Here in Bruges. It's all on complicated. A job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, um, I think what's interesting about their characters too is it, I think it it's really trying to say that they're both kind of in this job just kind of circumstantially because mm-hmm. they're not really people that you would normally see as hitmen in movies. Yeah. Like Brandon Gleason is just kind of like a dad. Yeah. You know, like he's just like a dorky, loves sightseeing, has a good moral co- code kind of person. Like you kind of mm-hmm. get the sense that he really is just doing this because he needs money or something. Like, yeah. or he's in some sort of trouble. And the same thing with Colin Farrell. He's just, like, this dorky guy. Yeah. Just not just really someone dude. you'd pick up as an assassin. Like, it really just feels like something got them into this, and it's not really who they are. It's just mm-hmm. who they kind of had to end up being. Well, the one thing that I kind of picked up on, like, I thought that Ken had been a hitman for, like, a while. Yeah. A little bit. But, like, I didn't realize this until this rewatch, but... This is Colin Farrell's first job. Like, it's his first case. Okay. I, I thought I knew that going in, but then when I watched it this time, I didn't catch a part that explicitly said that. Was there a part that, like, So when he gets on the away? train, he's like, you know, it's my my first kill. What a great hitman I turned out to be. Or something right, along okay. those lines. I think I was texting you about khaki pants. Yeah. <laughs> at that exact moment, if I'm being completely honest. It's a very important discussion. And also, like, the fact that they don't seem like... Yeah, they're in this circumstantially, but they're also like they don't know each other prior to this. Right. Like so it's just, their first job together mm-hmm. and it's Colin Farrell's first job. And overall. The, the only thing that like really kind of made me think that is the scene when uh when they first get to the you know hotel and he's like two weeks in a room in Bruce, Bruce, with you. <laughs> no way. Like just with mm-hmm. you, it just seemed like, you know, with whoever the fuck you are, like yeah. kind of guy. Like they clearly don't really know that much about mm-hmm. each other. But like it's probably just a situation where it's like can't send someone on their first kill mm-hmm. on their own. So send a a big guy with them, someone who's been doing it a while. Yeah, exactly. Um Let's also talk about they're filming midgets. <laughs> well, yeah, that whole that whole section when I just love the fascination in his eyes when he runs over and he's like, "Hey, get back here!" He's like, I-, "I can't. They're filming midgets." And then he's just like staring, and he's so he's like down on his knees. He's got like his head in his hands, yeah. and he's just like so intensely staring at this film set with mm-hmm. midgets, like it's the most important thing mm-hmm. he's ever seen in his life. And like how when he meets you know Chloe he's just like oh look at that girl she's gorgeous mm-hmm. and her hair's like blowing and then how they get into their relationship literally is him going over and you know uh 
talking to her at craft services, you know, like a lot of midgets tend to kill themselves and it like yeah. catches her off guard. It's like, what? <laughs> and I love that, like the oh, whole, boy. their whole relationship just like in general, it seems like it wouldn't work. Like mm-hmm. the whole time you're just like, why is she with this guy? But then you like, you find out that even like she has her flaws, like she's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, selling Coke and all that. And Which again is like probably another very like circumstantial situation. Mm-hmm. Like she just ended up having to do that. And yeah. like, that's why they kind of like feel for each other. I also thought that like this time I don't, there's really no hardcore evidence for this, but like the one thing that I kind of got was how just one thing that like drives them together is that they're both really honest with each other. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, he even says up front, you know, I, I shoot people for money, yeah. sometimes kids or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There was just something that they both kind of recognize who they are as people like instantly, mm-hmm. but they're truthful yeah. and accepting of who they are and they can do that together. And that's what kind of pushes them together. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't really know, like there was, there was just kind of a feeling I had while I was watching it, but I was like, it just makes it so much more believable. And it, like, I'm, by that relationship, mm-hmm. you know, even though it like happens so quickly. Something I like that Martin McDonough always does is kind of off topic, but he always like inserts at least like one or two like little things that the audience probably doesn't know or like isn't savvy to. Like in this movie, it's the blanks when he like mm-hmm. shoots the blanks in the guy's face. Like most people probably think, oh, blanks can't do shit with that, but like blanks shoot shrapnel and yeah. like, so it's like a little like. Uh, like subversion of expectations mm-hmm. where like that ends up working and it's kind of like Martin McDonough being like you idiots yeah. <laughs> like, I always love stuff like that I just love how like again that's really dark he literally like blinded someone but he's like of course you can't see I just shot a yeah. blank in your fucking eyes like, <laughs> and everyone keeps calling him a puff like yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's like, like you that shot guy. me he blinded me and he's like well it sounds like it's your fault yeah. well like that guy is like the model Hitman, like you see that guy. Yeah, that's like, this the guy, guy you would seems think. Like, yeah. yeah, but like everyone just keeps like everyone just keeps putting him down. Mm-hmm. Even Yuri, who's like you know just such a big like dope, yeah. and like just keeps <laughs> shoving him off to the side. Like when Ke- like when um Harry first sees him, he just goes, "Aye aye." Um, I also like his when he like runs to the tower after he sees uh, Colin Farrell at the end. He does a little hop over like the yeah. the <laughs> sign post. I don't know why that little hop's always just really funny to me. It makes me <laughs> laugh every time. <laughs> oh, another setup and payoff that I just have to bring up is like it really drives forward like the the length of the staircase. Like you have that scene where they pick on the fat Americans, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Yeah. But like that's a also bunch of just fucking elephants. Up, yeah, that's also just setting up because they just say like you know tight space and there's a lot of stairs. So like later in the movie when it's taken like Ralph, how do you put Rafe, Rafe finds mm-hmm. when it's taking him forever to get down the stairs? Like it makes sense because he implanted that knowledge like prior that like oh it's a lot of steps. Not only that, but I uh, I didn't know that because remember he says like the tower is closed. Yeah. So I, I didn't hear this until today, but like he says some guy yesterday had a heart attack yeah. and it's the, um, uh-huh. it's just, it's the American guy. Cause they went Genius. up there anyway. Mwah. Yeah. Amazing. And I do love that scene when he's like, you know, the tower is closed this yeah. evening and you could just tell like, mm-hmm. he's like, you're going to die. And he beats the fuck out of him. But like, it's funny that like Brendan Gleeson's just like, Whew, and yeah. it just walks like away, <laughs> which is another good payoff for this scene where he didn't take the four ninety four ninety mm-hmm. change. Yeah. Like, 
It's like, damn, I hate yeah. that guy. I want to see him get his comeuppance, and you do. But he yeah. also that also shows that Brandon Gleason still has the coins when mm-hmm. he goes up. And yeah, that the- is genius. That's <laughs> so good. See, oh there's my God. so many things that like you know, just little things. You just think like, oh, that's in- it's mm-hmm. like you know, it's- there's a lot of little things. Yeah, you know what a pretty big thing is though, Brandon Gleason's ears. He that dude, a, he's got some big has ears. the largest ears <laughs> I have seen in my entire life. They're pretty They're big. So, I think they're the size of my hand. <laughs> if I walked up to him and put my hand up to his face, my hands would be the size of that man's ears. <laughs> I just couldn't stop looking at him. That's in my nose. Biggest fucking ears I've ever seen. <laughs> I just couldn't stop looking. We at had him. a list of the biggest ears in Hollywood. It'd be like you know him and like Ben Stiller. Mm, yeah, and that's, that's a fact. It. And then also right under that, I I've got what the fuck is that ugly bear dog thing? You know when he what? like, I think it's right before he has the flashback. He like looks over and this lady is holding like the oh, ugliest dog yeah, I've ever seen in my entire about. life. I just thought that that was kind of like how they stick out in that environment because like. I feel like that's just something that you would see mm-hmm. on just some lady just with a full-sized dog sitting in her lap just rubbing his, like the stomach and it just seems so weird and Ray is obviously like just weirded out by it but he just is again they're just sitting on a bench so it just seems like kind of a normal goings-on and it places again it makes Ray and Ken almost stick out you know mm-hmm. a little bit that they don't really belong there particularly Ray because I mean that's also when he left the museum when mm-hmm. they're like you know mm-hmm. do I have to yeah see Jesus no Christ, you don't have to you fucking have to <laughs> <laughs> so angry <laughs> let's take a quick break to talk about the new segment that we have coming up on frankly I love movies As many of you know, I am studying the semester in Los Angeles doing an internship, and we thought we would take this opportunity to give something special to you guys. We'll still have the bi-weekly schedule. Every other week a new episode will be released, but these movies are going to be a little different. We're going to be talking about movies that take place entirely in Los Angeles, and we'll talk about why we love them, why they contribute to our love of the film, and how the location of Los Angeles is a character in and of itself and how it affects the movies. So be on the lookout for that. The first episode will drop two weeks from today with Brian Taborny and I talking about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're really excited about it, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. So two weeks from today, the first episode of Frankly I Love Movies, The LA Sessions, drops anywhere you get your podcast. Back to In Bruges. I just can't get over how fucking funny this movie is. And like mm-hmm. when after Ray steals the cocaine and then he's all hopped up yeah. and like comes back and he's like, huh, my date, you know, started off good. And she had her tongue in my mouth, my finger on her thing. And then um, I had to steal some Coke and I had to sh- I shot some blank in this one puff's eyes. So I would say my even about uh, my even even out to five. Genius. Mm-hmm. Oh, also just to get back on like the conversation of, because Martin McDonough, as you said, a lot of theater before this. Yeah. He was like really a theater guy. And do you know anything about like his transition into film at Not all? Not really, no. I was just wondering, because it's like, I, I think like his filmmaking is like really, really, really inspired by that. You have a lot of long takes of these actors, just close-ups on their faces, where you can just like really see the nuances of their performances, which I think is like very important to the movie, uh, very important to the performances. Yeah. But it's like... He really wants to let the actors shine. He really wants to let them act. Like, it's not just, 
him being like, this is my movie. I want everything to go perfectly as planned, blah, blah, blah. He like really wants it to be like this joint effort yeah. where like he is saying, all right, I'm putting this camera on you. You're going to do this whole scene with this close up on your face. Yeah. And it's just like, well, it's like actors acting. Like you memorize the lines, go out on stage and act your heart out. And like, he really lets them do that. Well, that's the one thing I can, you can kind of tell that it's his first movie, but it's not like a, a demerit that like, a lot of the shots are very simple. Mm-hmm. There, it's a lot of handheld, a lot of close-ups, um, because it also, again, it just it hinders on the fact that Bruges is is another character, and it, mm-hmm. you take in the scenery, so it adds more to the shot and just makes it look beautiful. Whereas the setups are just kind of seems very simple, very mm-hmm. easy, you know. And like the cinematography is not something like completely, you know, like eye-gasmic or something yeah there's nothing like groundbreaking yeah but like it but it works for the story because of how you know small and kind of simple Mm -hmm. the story seems on the surface but also it's still engaging you know especially in you know my personal favorite scene is when ray is about to commit suicide and ken stops him at the at the park all of the setups for that are all very simple there's like the symmetry shot of ray and ken is like from afar Mm -hmm. and like it almost feels like it's all filmed. I mean, cause like Ken is hiding, but it's all filmed in secret. Cause I mean, there's the kids on the park yeah, and, and they're like, hi- like the camera's kind of behind trees and like down low behind the gun and stuff. Yeah. But like then because it's all handheld, it just makes it more and more exciting. And the music builds up. Mm-hmm. Did you see him shooting himself coming or in like when I first watched it? Yeah. I no. I didn't either. I did like, not. It's such a good surprise because you're like, well, why is he going to the park? Yeah. Like, what the, is he just going to like kind of clear his head kind mm-hmm. of thing? Like what? And then he pulls the gun out and it's like, oh my God, yeah. like, it's, I can't believe it. Now, do you think that Martin McDonough wrote this as a play initially? Because I think this scene is like my smoking gun for yes, because this is like the perfect act break. Like when he goes up with the gun like it's such this big like emotional moment like it's the end of an act yeah. and, and he pulls the gun and he stops him and it's like oh okay now this sets up everything going forward like that seems like such a cur- curtain close moment and like now we're going into like the next part of this story all I know is that uh, he went to Bruges once and like just fell in love with it and he was already in thoughts of making a movie mm-hmm. and so I think like this just this story just lent itself to being a feature like a feature film and I don't know I guess I think he just immediately started it with a with a film but that does seem like a good like that is kind of the next threshold that they cross as characters for for sure I Um, think it would also be interesting just if we ever like in the future were to cover three billboards or seven psychopaths just like Next time I watch those, I want to look at if those movies feel less theatrical or if it kind of like stays the same because like I've never watched them thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But I want to see if you like because this movie does feel very theatrical, feels like it was like written for the stage. But I don't know about the other two. I gotta keep an eye out. This one seems more the- if in thinking about it, this one seems more theatrical than Three Billboards does. Like Three well, Billboards yeah, definitely because this is like simple one location, mm-hmm. like only a couple scene changes really in the whole movie. Yeah. But like, I mean, three billboards is a whole other animal. Yeah. I love three billboards. We'll do an episode on three billboards in the future. That's um, my favorite movie of the year. I, I want to keep. I want to keep talking about that scene, just because of like I think that's where Colin Farrell really shines, like just acting wise. Because 
the emotions just in that five minute scene are so great because it's like it's suspenseful and then it's disbelief and then it's like mm-hmm. shocked that he's about to kill himself. And then and that he whole, looks rough too. Yeah. Like he looks so like the greasy hair. Yeah. Like you can tell he's been crying. Like yeah. and he's been wearing the same clothes throughout the whole movie, the same shirt mm-hmm. with like the music notes or whatever on mm-hmm. it, and this like just this black jacket, like very just normal clothing. And like he and then, like, the scene afterwards, like, can we go somewhere and talk? Like, you know it's actually funny. You I love in that scene, though? What? Like, the, you're going to kill yourself. I'm allowed to. <laughs> like, no, you're not. <laughs> what, you can kill me? I can't kill myself? How's that fair? <laughs> Just, Again, it's funny, like, in the middle of this whole... Yeah, this super dramatic scene. Yeah. And, like, when they're at the... They're sitting down. He's like, where'd you get the gun? A friend of Harry's like, fucking hell. Like, can I see it? He just looks at it. He's like, nice. Yeah, and Mine's I love a fucking that they, girl's gun. <laughs> I love that even though... Ken was about to kill him. They still trust each other enough to yeah. like give each other their guns. Yeah. Yeah. They've calmed down. But yeah, this is definitely the part where you know he's like, okay, I gotta put you on a train somewhere. He's like, back to London. He's like, go to can't go to London, you'll be a dead man. And then that's when Ray like breaks down and like is really just like like I killed a boy. I can't I can't live with myself. Mm-hmm. And like he just like just immediately right when he starts breaking down and starts crying, it affects me every single time. Because well, again, yeah, because it's the first time that I think he one hundred percent drops that wall mm-hmm. that he's been putting up of just like this dorky like man child. Mm-hmm. Like it's the only time he really just lets it completely fall. Well, because other times he's been doing it either in secret because he does it in the bathroom. And I love the scene where he's looking at himself in the mirror mm-hmm. and he's just like touching his face and yeah. like Ken is like looking at him and starting to kind of realize that like this is just like a kid that mm-hmm. made a mistake. Yeah. It's it's heartbreaking, but then it's, you know, Ken pulls him in. He's like, then save the next little boy. Yeah. And it's like... Uh-huh. The, and, the whole idea of redemption. Yeah. Like, and and I th- that's like this overarching like theme of I feel like can be applied to a lot, but it's just like why just completely count someone out because they did something bad when like you could reform them or maybe they want to reform themselves and like do so much good later on. But yeah. like that that whole like then save the next one. Yeah. Like that's so good. And like him that moment when he pulls the gun on himself when Ray pulls the gun on himself. That's when Ken realizes, like, holy shit, this guy's really going through it. Like, yeah. he didn't just kill a kid and, like, be like, all right, I killed a kid, whatever. Like, he's really torn up about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's like, what am I going to be, a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> you need exams. <laughs> you need exams. <laughs> um, but then he puts him on the train and then sends him off. And it seems mm-hmm. like that's the last time they're going to see each other. You don't really know. You know, like, okay, he's leaving, so now what? And he calls Harry, you know, and he's like, it's a fairy tale place. And he, like, basically just tells him, fuck you, come find me. And he hangs yeah. up the phone. And then we finally get to see one of my favorite character intros of all time. It's great because all we hear is his voice. When And mm-hmm. every time we hear his voice, like, early in the movie, he's kind of in charge of the situation. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, he sends the telegram or sends the message. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's on the phone with Ken telling him what to do. And then now when Ken gets, like, the upper hand kind of thing and hangs up, that's when we see him. Yeah. And it's great. He just stands there with the phone just and staring. then just fucking destroys it, like, annihilates it. <laughs> You're an inanimate object. <laughs> And then later, I'm sorry, I called you an inanimate object. I was upset. <laughs> but that's even again, it's it's a great whole like you know just a quick two minute scene yeah. to show him at home. That and he you has see to- he has kids. You see that he really cares about them. Mm-hmm. And he really cares about his family. Yeah, and he loves his wife. And again, it's quick. Like there's no big. Please come back, okay? He's like you mm-hmm. know he's like. 
It's something to do with Ken. It's a matter of honor. I love that. I can't remember her name, but like the babysitter. Oh, yeah. He's like... Uh, just stay here with your mom and like whoever the babysitter yeah. is, but it's just like such a weird little detail. Yeah, like clearly like has money and but like also clearly cares about all the people around him because yeah. like he has this babysitter and she's just like there, kind of having family time with him. Uh-huh. And like even that moment of like it's a personal thing, like it's with it's with Ken. Like yeah. you know these two people like have a history and he really cares about his people right exactly and again he's a man of principle like yeah. that's all and, and he's you not- can't fault him like he's this bad dude but he's like yeah Colin, he killed a kid he needs to die and it's like can't fight that art that like logic it'd be it'd be one thing if it was like because we also never hear any utterings of like money or like mm-hmm. other than when he says i killed someone for money other than that we don't really hear about like okay i have to kill this guy or else i won't get paid or yeah. like i'm missing something mm-hmm. or like no it's like i have to do this yeah. out of principle mm-hmm. like this is what matters like he killed a kid he can't get away with it mm-hmm. and so then he goes to meet with ken and they have that great scene like and the at the table when he calls him a cunt like so many times <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's wonderful like, call him my kid oh my cunt fucking kids that's going up a board mate <laughs> <laughs> he's like all right i take back the part about your cunt fucking kids <laughs> There's like, well, you brought my kids into this. Like, well, I took it back. I took that part back. <laughs> or when he's like, um, yeah, he's like, he's suicidal. Like, we're all suicidal. And he's like, I stopped him. <laughs> this just gets fucking worse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you went to the park. What does going to the park have to do with yeah. any of this? <laughs> you were down in the park. <laughs> like, he's clearly just so confused. He's just like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on? But it's so funny. And like, again, he's such an asshole, such a bad guy. But yeah, like you said, you can't really argue with his logic because of the world that he's yeah. in. Like mm-hmm. on the bare cert, like on the bare level, it's like you know someone did something really wrong, and now he feels like he's the only one who can yeah. well, inflict look that at kind it, of punishment. Look at it from his perspective, because from per- his perspective, he hired this kid as mm-hmm. an assassin, put him through whatever training, sent him out. First thing he does, kill a make a mistake, kill a kid. Yeah, it's like no, he's done. I'm I'm like putting him off like yeah. i'm putting this turning this shit off right now yeah because he hasn't had these three days getting to know him getting to understand how much it tore him up how much it was like oh my god i can't believe i did this thing like i fucked up so bad yeah so it's like from his perspective yeah go fucking kill the guy he killed a kid yeah but like obviously we think that he's gone and they go up to the bell tower and like i love that whole scene the mm-hmm. the whole ending sequence literally probably from when they get up from the table to go to the tower until the very end incredibly is- blocked like i love the shot of colin farrell and chloe kissing and mm-hmm. like they walk by just in like the blurred out background behind them yeah that's kind of a moment it's like you didn't see him like <laughs> like yeah. he's kind of like well i mean they're pretty focused yeah he's like sure. i gotta kill my friend that i've known for years taking him up to this bell tower i i think it's pretty reasonable no i'm not saying him. it's like what the fuck like i it, <laughs> movie mistakes <laughs> put that on imdb <laughs> goofs <laughs> he was going after him the whole time but didn't see him right in front of him what's up with that martin mcdonough yeah call that a friendship fuck you um <laughs> But when when he's up there and like Brendan Gleeson's like you know I got to I'm glad I got to see it before I die and then he doesn't like pull his gun out and he's mm-hmm. like you know you know I, I admire your integrity and your passion you know I love you for that and I can't I'm done fighting and even mm-hmm. you know Harry's just like 
Oh, now I can't kill you. Yeah. <laughs> he shoots him in the leg and he's like, fuck it now. He's like, mm-hmm. well, I have to shoot you. You know, you're not like you yeah. know, Robert Park or whatever. <laughs> Who? <laughs> like Judas and fucking Iscariot. <laughs> uh, so um, you think that like, okay, like could it end just there? Like mm-hmm. on that last joke. And then they realize that Ray is still here. And I love just immediately when the blind guy, go, the Eric, goes up mm-hmm. to him and is like, you know, he's down in the bar on the left and Ken and Harry just look at each other and they're like, like, uh, <laughs> then they just start like go killing each guns, other. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, Ken, but you can't kill a kid and expect to get away with it and then just mm-hmm. runs down. And cue in one of my favorite uses of music in a movie ever on oh, Raglan Road by the Dubliner starts playing yeah. and when he climbs back up well, I love that too, because I, I think when he makes the call and like says, "I've put him on the train, like come meet me, do what you have to do." I don't think he's actually like prepared to die mm-hmm. for Ray. I think he knows he can talk his way out of it. Like mm-hmm. I think he knows that that like bond between them is so real. Because even when they go up to the top of the tower, they have that conversation. Yeah, he says like it's up to you. Like you can see in his face that he knows that he's not going to die. Yeah. Then I, I like that it's not unrealistic that he's willing to die for mm-hmm. Ray. Because, like, he doesn't go up the tower completely in full health and then jump off. He gets shot. And then yeah. he realizes, I'm going to die. My last act might as well be to save this kid. Like, give my life to save this yeah. kid. Well, also, he, you know, he's the one that says about Ray, like, he has the ability to change yeah. and get better. And I think he accepts the fact from himself because, I mean, he's, like we said, he's kind of the veteran hitman mm-hmm. and has, you know, grappled with the fact that he has to kill people. This is his moment to kind to of change, yeah. Either change or like you know, again, repent for his sins or, or be, save except. the next kid. Exactly, and you know, again, great moment to pay off. He goes up and drops the coins mm-hmm. um, to push people back, which I never thought. I thought he was just getting rid of them because he's like you know trying to get rid of my coins in the beginning, <laughs> and then he's just like, all right, I'll just you know mm-hmm. kind of do that, and then it's to obviously to get people out of the way. And I just there's something about that piece of music, like that song in there that really brings it together like i mean it, it's you know captures just the the beauty of the time that the, the mm-hmm. like just how it's at night it's in europe and it's this moment of just again great change so cuz i kind of think what that's what that song's about this moment of right before something really drastic in your life is about to happen like not in maybe a negative or a positive way but there's it's a big point of change or like mm-hmm. um you know this next stage or like this next big moment and i a quick story with that song. My brother, when he graduated college, he rode his bike around SUNY New Paltz, like listening to that song and like kind of taking everything in. It's a very atmospheric song mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful. Um, and he, when Ken drops and just jumps and the camera, like kind of goes down with him. It's like heartbreaking, like honestly, because like when yeah. when Ray runs over and he's like, I think I'm dying now. And then just like it goes, it's like, oh. It, and again, it just like exempl- and you love this character, so yeah, much. exactly. It's like, like how much compassion he's shown towards Ray, mm-hmm. and how much compassion he's just shown towards like everyone, yeah, like just loving life. Him being able to give all that up, just smash himself into the ground to warn Ray, it's like so powerful, yeah, it really is. And then you know, again, a, just a complete switch to like an action scene, this whole big chase through Bruges. Another good Martin McDonough realism part was the gun being broken. <laughs> oh yeah, you're like, right. He yeah. puts it in his pocket so carefully, buttons mm-hmm. up his suit so it doesn't fall out, mm-hmm. jumps up, and yeah, of course it's gonna fucking yeah, break. Yeah, obviously. You smashed against like cobblestone. Mm-hmm. I love the shootout scene and like how they're all running and then they get to the 
you know, hotel and it's like he's up there. He's like, mm-hmm. suppose you got a gun up there. Like, yeah. yeah. That's my second favorite scene. It's so great. He's like, he's like, how about this? I'm going to jump out into the thing. You could try to shoot at me while I'm swimming across. And then he's like, wait, which way do I go? And he's like, you, you go right. It's like you can see it from the door. Yeah. It's a big fucking canal. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> and then the um, the shop owner's like, because again, you like honor, crazy. like this, like, this weird moral code between mm-hmm. all of them. Like, of course, like even though he's the big bad guy, he's not going to shoot the pregnant lady. Yeah. And it's like they have to come up with some way to get around that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, he jumps and this is where everything kind of comes to a head at mm-hmm. the end when he jumps off the boat and he gets shot and then still trying to wander through the streets of Bruges and gets through the the dream sequence that's being shot. And you see all the masks like in the painting. And Harry shoots Ray again and the bullet goes through him like with the mm-hmm. priest and kills Jimmy. But you can't tell because the bullet, again, set up with the bullets yep, that the head explode. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the bullets that explode your head. <laughs> yeah. And you can't, there's dum no dums. way to... Yeah, dumb dumbs. Dum give dums. them to me. <laughs> <laughs> there's like no way to really explain to Harry that he didn't, mm-hmm. it's not what he thinks. And he's like... He uh, tries to though. That's another mm-hmm. part that I love is that when he puts the gun in his mouth, like, Ray, like, tries to tell him, like, it's not a kid. Mm-hmm. And, like, that just totally solidifies his arc to me. Yeah. Like, he does not want anyone else to die around him. Yeah. He doesn't want to kill anyone else. Like, he doesn't even want this guy who's trying to kill him to kill himself. Yeah. And, like, with what might be his last words, tries to say, like, Harry, it's not what you think. Yeah. And then he's like, you know. Gotta stick to your principles. Gotta stick to your principles. And I love... Amazing last line. What's, a, what's incredible, though, is how... Again, set up because he says that at the table that he would have mm-hmm. if on the on the spot he yeah. would have done it and like how quick we got introduced to this character mm-hmm. and like and it sucks and w- again that actually kind of adds empathy to Harry because like he you know sticks to his principles yeah and you know the truth like you as the audience member know the truth mm-hmm. you know that he actually didn't kill a kid mm-hmm. and the fact that he still acts on it yeah. is like no makes you like, feel for him yeah, yeah. like you can't even like, though just he's know. the quote unquote bad guy the whole movie Martin McDonough still makes you feel that death <laughs> and then the ending monologue that he has when he's when Colin Farrell's being put in the stretcher he's like you know you know, whatever I do, if ever I go to heaven or hell, mm-hmm. at least it won't be in Bruges. Yeah. Maybe that's what hell is, though. Spending eternity in fucking Bruges. Mm-hmm. Which I think really solidifies the whole purgatory thing. Yeah, well, then, because then he's like, you know, I really hoped I wouldn't die. And that, yeah, that is such a good line. Yeah. Like, the last thing, just, I really, really hoped I wouldn't die. Yeah. Like, that's so good. Cut to black. And, I mean, you know, the whole ambiguity thing, I remember my stepdad, when I first watched it, you know, was like, what do you think? Did he die or didn't he die? And it doesn't matter. Like it. Honestly, yeah, yeah, that's what I said too. <laughs> like when when I watched it with Heather, she was like, "So did he die or did he didn't he die? What do you think?" I was like, "I don't think I care." <laughs> like it honestly doesn't because I mean, again, this is kind of delving into what Nerdwriter was talking about. But like when he accepts the fact, he's like, "I hope I don't die." Mm-hmm. That is the end of his arc because yeah. he was suicidal throughout this entire mm-hmm. movie. And now he's kind of paid for his sins and uh, accepting and wanting to live mm-hmm. is now he can live the rest of his life where however much time that has, if he does mm-hmm. live or whatever, that's the end of his arc. And that's yeah. why the story ends there. And again, I honestly, I really love the idea that the whole movie's in purgatory, that they're just waiting, that they mm-hmm. just have to wait in this almost fairy tale like place. There's no other place like it. And 
you know, Harry is the one who puts judgment on yeah. all of them, but he's not above his own rules right. on others. And I, you could look at that and say, like, okay, that's just a theory. There's nothing really to back that up. But there's so many nuggets that are given out throughout. Lots the, of nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie to where it ties in. They literally talk about it to a painting and like mm-hmm. about the, about the painting and it like just holds on their faces before it cuts to the next mm-hmm. scene. And that, you know, they're grappling with the, um, the choices that they've made in their life and, you know, all of the horrible things that they have done and, they're not going to get none of them get away with it. Yeah, like no one in this movie yep. gets off scot free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like as much as I love the characters, if any of them did, it wouldn't feel right. Yeah, for sure. Because like they're all they're all bad people, and they're all trying to atone with what they've done. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. There's just something about that last scene. It's another thing that I just love about certain movies like this. They I know how that, to end it. Yeah, I they, think the cinematography really shines in this scene with the movie light sets mm-hmm. or the movie set lights, mm-hmm. the snow coming down, like the the tilted camera angles. It's just like, yeah, I think it's a great scene. And it like again as a conclusion, it really like kind of brings the message, you mm-hmm. know, home. And I love that last monologue again. You start with narration, you end with narration. It's just, it just feels like such a complete narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've just. It's so much fun. Like every single time I watch it, the fact that, you know, they set up all this stuff and you start in one place and you can see the progression of the character. And once mm-hmm. they finally get to where they need to go, that's it's so when it cathartic. Ends. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's almost like it's sad, but it, it makes sense. And like, yeah, I love it. Um, before we end, we have to talk about, obviously, we got to answer the question, why do you love this movie and why does it add to your love of film? I mean, we've talked so much about it, um, about the analysis and just the the writing, really. What is it, if you could give me like a, you know, contained answers to why you love this movie and what it adds to film for you? I mean, again, for me, I think it's just the tightness of it. Yeah. Um, which, again, I think is really something that Martin McDonough carried over from theater. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't leave loose ends in theater because once the people leave that theater, like it's over, it's done. And like they're going to harshly criticize it. And like whether or not your show keeps going is dependent on whether or not people love this. You have to have it tight. Like yeah. it's not like it can just make a million dollars at the box office by chance. Like you have to like get the critics appraisal. You have to have all this stuff. It has to be tight. Yeah. And so I think this movie is just like set up and payoff, which I wrote a billion times in my notes, yeah. is the biggest thing in it. Because yeah. like, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but like we just saw, you saw Rise of Skywalker, right? Yeah. Like a movie where nothing is set off, set up, mm-hmm. and then it tries to do a million payoffs at the end. And it's just, you. it doesn't feel right. Because right. it's like the movie isn't tight. The trilogy isn't tight. Like nothing about this is cohesive. Yeah. But this movie, it has so many like overarching setups and payoffs so many setups and payoffs just within scenes the characterization is so tight um the acting is so tight it's just like it's really something to strive for as a filmmaker or a screenwriter or really anything as a as a film viewer like it makes you realize maybe what you've been missing this whole time Mm -hmm. is just like this very cohesive just uh self-contained small story that just feels good it feels good. And it's crazy that you can have a movie where like all the characters die at the end, yeah. but you feel good and yeah. like you feel good for them, even uh, though they're dead. It's crazy. It is weird. Yeah. And I think it's, a, I also love that Martin McDonough 
does not let genres define him. That's something I always love. Like he's like, I'm gonna make this a comedy. I'm gonna make this a hitman thriller, and I'm gonna make it dark. I'm gonna make it drama. And even though this is gonna be the funniest movie you've ever seen in your entire life, I'm also gonna play with themes of like good and bad, of children dying, people coping with that. Like it's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, you really. Th- that's a really good explanation for it. And I'm very similar in that. Uh, this movie was one that I was like, okay, you know, Martin McDonough is one of my favorite writers and he still is. And he's proven that again with three billboards and he is so good at like, there's no fat in this movie. Like he makes Mm -hmm. everything purposeful and he uses it in a timely fashion. This is one thing that I really, really love. And that adds to my love of film is that he uses his time wisely and he, allow he has the uh, the audience connect with characters very quickly yeah i mean it's like an hour 45 the yeah whole movie like it's a tight movie compared to most like movies that come out today yeah i don't know how many more times i can use movie in one <laughs> sentence but i'm willing to try um but like just you instantly through the mm-hmm. the amazing dialogue and the circumstance you kind of instantly feel for these characters and you get mm-hmm. on their side yeah how many times have we come out of a movie and been like that's a first draft yeah or that's a second draft this movie you could tell like it's an 89th draft yeah he's really just spent so much time honing in thinking like okay what doesn't actually mean anything let's drop that mm-hmm. and so we now we have more time to like just have these characters interact get you to like these characters mm-hmm. And I love I love a movie where a location is a character. I've talked about it with Birdman too, about when it's theater on screen. Mm-hmm. This is another great example. But the thing that this movie does that um, makes it my favorite movie of all time is that just how connected I am and the wide range of emotions I experienced throughout. It's so goddamn funny. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many and just how dark it is. Like you're laughing at something like even when like they're having that debate about the race war with Jimmy, oh my God, there's yeah. like, you're like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? But I'm so into the scene and like, and then you can be just like so invested. And then like you're, um, your adrenaline starts pumping mm-hmm. and then you start crying. And it's just yeah. like, I've never experienced that. It's like, there's so many movies where it's just like, they kind of, they don't take that risk. You know, Martin McDonough is someone who's willing to take the risk of, yeah. you know, melding genre, melding tone, and he makes it work. Like mm-hmm. there's not many movies, like so many movies nowadays, like we'll do, you have to do this genre, but then let's add some comedy. And then there's such stark in their differences that they, it doesn't mesh well. Mm-hmm. He's able to do it in ways that makes it feel natural. Like it's an actual, like it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I don't know. Like it just comes out naturally. And I don't know. Every time I watch it, I, there's something new to find. Mm-hmm. It is so fast paced and incredible characters i think there's also like the how he deals with the themes of the movie Mm -hmm. is also a lot of it because it's relatively simple themes like it's really just good versus evil and then like is there a gray area in between and he just like lets you based in that like he's not coming at you saying there is one defined answer yeah he's just like showing you things letting you kind of make these moral decisions for yourself Mm -hmm. and then giving you an ending where like you can really take anything from it like you can take like this is a good guy who's going to live a long life and it's going to be great because he redeemed himself whatever you can say he died 
and he redeemed himself. You could say he died, he didn't redeem himself, but he's like comfortable with himself. Like there's so many ways to take it. And it's just because he like lets you exist with these characters and like lets you just ponder these themes in this like kind of quiet movie yeah. for an hour and 45 minutes. Well, that was the other thing I was going to say too is that like it seems on the surface something very simple. Like it means, okay, you know, they're just hiding out in Belgium mm-hmm. doing whatever, but it has a much deeper personal theme of, you know, like the sins you commit, you know, the whole purgatory Mm -hmm. setting. And that is very theatrical in and of itself. And I love that kind of storytelling. I love how allegorical it is and how you can take away about your actions in life and the choices that you make and how that kind of reflects on you later on as a human being. And like, I just love movies that do that. And it's all done by the risks taken, you Mm -hmm. know, and a lot of people took risks on this movie because I mean, it's a playwright. It's his first movie. He's never Mm -hmm. directed before other than six shooter, which is a short film. And, but it did get the Oscar. It did get the Oscar. And it is a wonderful movie, (laughs) but like it all just came together. Everyone was at the perfect place, the perfect time Mm -hmm. for this movie to happen. And that's why I say it's my favorite movie of all time. Any other final thoughts? Let me see my notes. Let me see if I have any other crazy last things I need to say. (laughs) <laughs> nope we're good <laughs> leave all that silence in by the okay. way <laughs> thank you Sully <laughs> you're welcome Josh this is a good conversation I always love talking about movies with you this is the Josh's choice by the way yeah. I don't know if we made that clear I did, yeah. at the beginning no I said it this is Josh's choice his favorite movie mm-hmm. you only briefly mentioned that favorite movie of all time mm-hmm mm-hmm it's the best and there's no like I've it's only like more of a recent revelation because I mean I've said it's like my second favorite movie of all time for like quite a while what was your first Goodwill Hunting was my first but like what <laughs> I, I still haven't seen Goodwill Hunting it's amazing it really is but like this one I, I find myself just coming back to it more and more mm-hmm. and more I still love Goodwill Hunting it's Good rewatchable too yeah you can rewatch this movie a million times and still love it yeah for sure thanks is listeners that the yep. that's the end yep <laughs>